By the way, if you sign up for the newsletter, you can get all those things emailed to you once a month. And they're also on these little sheets sitting around the room and things like that. So it's there. Good morning. How are you guys? <laughs> uh, let me pray for us before we get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are here. You are present with us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to make your presence known. We don't just desire a feeling. We don't just sit here and want to have a neat experience. We want conviction. We want a welcome, joyful weight put on our hearts. We want you to press in to our hearts, Lord Jesus, just to open us up, let us hear and see exactly what you're trying to say to us as a church, where you're trying to take us, what you're trying to do in us and through us. So we pray that this morning, we pray for freedom over this crowd, Father, we just pray that you would just sweep away anything that would keep us from hearing exactly what you want to say. From the top of the roof to the bottom of the basement, out to the corners of the property, Father God, we pray that this would be a safe space spiritually, that this place would be cleansed this morning by the blood of Christ so that we can hear you clearly. That all the, the worries of the world, all the anxieties, all the fears, all the angers, all the bitterness, all those things that we may have brought in here with us would be just left to the side for a moment, would just be quiet for a moment so that we can hear your voice. Come and bless us. Bless us with your presence. Amen. Well, so, you know what I'm going to ask, right? If you haven't been with us, we've been memorizing some verses, uh, two short passages for this series. I've, I've taken lately to every series having some verses that we could memorize as a crowd. And um, is anybody brave enough to try to, to uh, recite one from up front? All right, Kristen, come on up. All right, we'll see. We will see. You got to face that way. You can't look. Well, I can do a whole auditorium. Here, you hold it anyway. Okay. We'll see. So this is the Romans so, one. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yes. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God, or as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Sister. Are you brave enough to do the other one? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You get free choice of any book back there. And to be honest, I was going to get coffee cards, and I totally forgot. So I'm going to get you a coffee card, too. Anybody else? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. 8, 9, and 10, actually. No? All right. We're going to have to recite it together. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, there's little cards over here. You probably already have one, but if you don't, you can grab them on the way out. They have both of those on either side, and you can... Why am I using this? I don't need this. <laughs> Um, but you can use those to um, 
to memorize these. And, you know, memorization is really helpful in your walk. It really gets the Word of God in your heart, in, in front of you, and, and it keeps you kind of focused and whatever. I've, I don't know how many times I've used Scripture in just facing life and stuff like that. So, you know, Jen, I know, and I know you. I, I know the two of you could have done that verse. Co- free coffee cards. Come on now. You're like little Bible heads, so, you know, I know you guys could do it. My wife could do it, and I don't know where she is. She, 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 doesn't, she, doesn't, she doesn't like to stand up front here and do that stuff, though. Amen. Uh, get on with it, Jason, right? All right, so we're in this, <laughs> we're in this series. I don't even forget what the series is called. What, what are we calling this thing? But, but we're going to start today in 1 Corinthians tw- chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. And it says this, really kind of a cool passage. It says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, uh, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, Paul touches here on a vital conversation that we all sort of need to understand more in the issue of knowledge and experience. We need to, we need to understand, one, is how the individual's or uh, the, the individual's meaning towards community and also the community's meaning to the individual, all right? So what do you mean to this church and what does this church mean to you as a part of it, right, as, as a part of this body of Christ here, this local body of Christ? But I have to clarify, you know, we have to clarify these days because community is sort of like this little cool buzzword, right? And that's not what we mean here. We have to, it's not just any community, Rather, it is the very unique church community that we're talking about, right? Um, in our context, community equals church. Community equals church. We're not just people who share a common interest, you know, like a bowling team, right? You know, Thursday nights I go out and bowl with a bunch of people or something like that, or business associates or, or theater lovers or or social activists or whatever, like where we just show up for these little events and then we go do our lives separately from that. That's not what we are, right? Um, church is very unique. Church is, uh, it, it has a unique nature about it. Um, it, and it. On what it centers itself upon and how it is governed, it is not a social club. It is, sim- it is not simply a warm community. I know some people walk into the 6-8, and I think one of our biggest gifts is that we are a warm community, and that's a good thing, but we're not just a warm community, right? That's not just our own thing. Um, you know, us pastors, when people say that about your church, oh, I felt very warm and very, very accepted. Great! I'm so ha- happy and excited about that, but... <laughs> you got to understand, there's a second thought. I'm like, okay, when it gets hard, are you going to stay at the table? That's my question, right, for all of us, right? Our statement of faith at this church is, you know, we may seem relaxed. I mean, your pastor sports dreadlocks, very beautiful, wonderful dreadlocks, by the way, and, and tattoos, and I, you know, in the summer I preach in my shorts. We're, we're a relaxed crowd, you know, but we're not doing those things, you know, just because we're willy-nilly, Right? We, have, we have a statement of faith that is very comprehensive. It is definitive. And some might even say it's exclusionary. Now, it's exclusionary to me, not in a negative way, right? as if the church wants to drive people away for its, from itself. 
That is never the goal of a church, or it shouldn't be, right? On the contrary, churches, churches across the world have always been invitational to all peoples because God is, right? The scriptures are. The message is invitational, right? But exclusionary, in, in, it, it is exclusionary in a sense of, of how God's defined the church as to what it is and what it isn't, right? We, we come as we are, all of us, we come as we are, you know, sort of no, no matter our ethnic background, our social status or anything like that, we come warts and all. We don't get ourselves all, you know, gussied up, cleaned up, you know, and everything else to, to come and meet with Jesus. That's not how it works, right? As a matter of fact, we don't even know that we need cleaning up usually until after the fact, you know, after he draws us in and reveals that, that, that issue to us. He convicts us where we need to, the things in our lives that we need to repent of. That's the invitational part. It's always open. The doors are wide open in all churches for all people to come and meet Jesus and be transformed by Jesus. That's the invitational part. Remember, before Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 8 through 10, in verses 1 through 5, it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and, for the, and blah, 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 of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our of our flesh and following its thought, desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. It was done to us. We were woken up. We were, you know, kind of brought back from spiritual death, right? Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved, right? So that's, you know, we come to Christ, and as a result, we come into church as we are, warts and all, right? Fully, not really fully realizing our need for repentance, our need from turning away from certain things, and our need for healing, emotional healing and spiritual healing and things like that. And as a result of the Spirit's ministry and of prayer and of, of the washing of the Word of God, right, we, we, we are made alive, we are transformed by Christ over time. That's, we're sanctified. We use those little words, you know, in church, church life, right? And we become, what we become is an in, interdependent, not independent, interdependent part of his body, his local body, right? So here's what I'm saying. To come to Christ is to come into the local church, right? There are no lone cowboy Christians. John Wayne is not our postal boy, right? You don't, you know, like you, you don't live it on your own. The Christian walk will always be sort of like crippled. It'll be a crippled gate, right? Unless you walk it within the walls of church community. Either Cyprian or St. Augustine. I think St. Augustine stole it from Cyprian, but they're both like listed as, as saying this quote online. I just had, had to Google them and find out. But, but it says, it, he cannot have God for his father who will not have the church for his mother. 
Now some of that, some some of that, like you, you ex-Catholics are like, ugh, you know, I don't want to hear that, you know. But that, listen to that. There is truth in that. There is truth in that. When we realize that Christian life can't be lived individualistically. It has to be lived in a body. It must be in church community. Not theoretically, like, oh, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I listen to some things online, and I'm part of the global church, man. No, we're not a bunch of hippies, you know. No, not theoretically. I'm theoretically, yeah, I'm connected to the church, dude. No, no. What I am saying and what what Scripture says, what God calls us to, is that it is a very flesh and blood proximity. I have to be able to touch Kathy and pray over Kathy and talk to Kathy, right? It's it's very different. So church community is exclusionary in the positive sense of the word, right? There There are beliefs that the church derives from the scriptures which we profess and we proclaim and we say that are absolute truth. Oh, don't say that, Jason. There's no absolute truth. Yes, there is. There is absolute truth in Christ's body. That's what we talk about. We talk about these things. We believe these things. And that is all in order to guard the integrity of the gospel as a local body of Christ, to keep unity in what we believe, to glorify Jesus in everything that we say, think, and do, right? And to lead others to him really well, to not put stumbling blocks in front of people, to not be vague about what is, what, who and what Jesus is. Because freedom comes from obedience to God's loving truth, Freedom doesn't come from anarchy. Freedom doesn't get, come from me be, getting to define whatever I want as truth. No, freedom comes from, from, God's, from obedience to God's loving truth, to following Jesus in this world, right? So church is not a democracy. <laughs> it's not. It's also not anarchistic, right? It has structure. It has leadership. And that's not bad. That's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. And it's, it's, it's got a clearly defined purpose and vision and mission to it. And all that, all that, not simply for the good of people. It's not just to make you feel better about your life. That's, that's like secondary stuff. The, the primary thing is for the glory of God in this world. That's the primary goal is to glorify Jesus in this world. Not to make me feel better. Although being a Christian and walking well with you guys does make me feel better quite a bit of the time. Christ's reign in the church is a kingdom rule. It's a kingdom rule. Jesus is the head of the church. He is our Lord. He is is our benevolent king, our good king, our loving king. He is our ultimate goal as a body. We exist for God's glory through God's mission, to know Christ and to make Christ known to all peoples of the world. We are outposts, local outposts of the kingdom of God. That's what we are. And the church throughout the centuries has sought to articulate, you know, through its creeds and things like that, these foundational beliefs to bolster understanding and guard the integrity of its message. That's something very important these days in in modern society, right? 
you've heard the Apostles' Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, the Nicene Creed, and all that stuff. And in reading like things like the Nicene Creed, for example, you'll notice the very foundational, wonderful, beautiful uh, beliefs that, that are proclaimed and, and stated through it um, concerning things like the nature of God the Father, the nature of God the Son, God the Spirit, and, and the virgin birth, and, and the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and the ascension, all that kind of stuff. It is comprehensive, although it's not exhaustive. The creeds aren't Scripture, but they are derived from Scripture. They're important to remind us of what we believe in. Th- this, is how it, this is how the Nicene Creed goes. It says, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. All, of all that is seen and unseen, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, very important language, by the way, uh, of, of being with the Father through... Uh, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. And then it continues, for us men and, our, and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified uh, under Pontius Pilate, puts us in history, puts Jesus in history. You know, Jesus was a real flesh and blood, fully God, fully man, walked this earth. These things actually happened. And anybody that says that they don't, and all these stupid gospels that came up hundreds of years later are not truth, right? Don't believe it, right? Uh, what's his name? Dan Brown writing, you know, like, what, what is that movie, that stupid movie? Yeah, Da Vinci Code. All that, that is garbage. It's all garbage, right? Believe me, believe me, and I'll, I'll direct you to the right places to read about this stuff. But, it, 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 you know, Pontius Pilate puts him in a historical moment, right? He suffered death and he was buried. That happened, right? And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Amen. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. He's given to us when we come to Christ. We believe in one holy Catholic. Now, that's Catholic, not the denomination, but Catholic in the sense of the universal church, like all believers across the world, and apostolic. In other words, we're tied to the original eyewitnesses and all these people over time, right? We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I can't say it's loud enough or strong enough. Amen. Creeds and statements of faith are important. They define who we are, and more importantly, who we're about. They seek to maintain the purity of the gospel message from cultural encroachment, which there's a lot of these days, and from those who would seek to twist its meaning. And by the way, there are people that seek to twist its meaning. We are Christians of a local Christian church, a local church church community. That's what we are. Holy, unique, and different. Let me say this clearly. It is the continued embodiment of Jesus 
to a specific local community in a specific time of history right now. Ardmore, Bryn Mawr, Rosemont, Havertown. This is where we serve. This is where God has plopped us down. This is where we do our kingdom opportunities that Julie just announced, right? Believers filled with the Holy Spirit making up the body of Christ in a certain geographical area brings with it responsibility, right? Spiritual and divine on one hand, and very sort of fleshly and, you know, physical and proximate on the other, right? We're right here, right now. Physical entities, bodies, you know, bumping around and, you know, bumping into each other, interacting internally with each other as the church, you know, spurring one another on towards deeper growth towards Christ, and also externally with non-Christians, influencing the people around us. And we want to be that salt and light to people, don't we? And it's in this local body of Christ where we learn the powerfully humbling lesson of interdependence where we learn that we need the church and the church needs us. Well, I need you guys. I need you in my life. I had some people over last night for dinner, and it was just so nice just to have people sitting around my table talking, about, just encouraging. It was so, it was loud. I mean, Lindley is loud. You know, she is, Lindley and, and, and Rachel are both very loud. They're loud people that, <laughs> I have the microphone, so I'm louder than you right now. But uh, so I win. I win. No, I, no. But it's nice to have these loud, wonderful laughter in this conversation in your house. I, I need that. It's encouraging. You guys are good people, not just those two. I mean, everybody, everybody's good people in here. You're wonderful people. Where, where was I? <laughs> but... Um, we, we need the church, and the church needs us. That's not an arrogant statement for the, me to say that you need me. You do need me. You need my unique voice, right? We're not a true member of, of a body, of a church, if we regard ourselves as independent of it, right? Uh, well, I'm not going to believe that part of your statement of faith. I'm not going to do that because I, I know better, right? Standing above everything. No, that's not being a part of the church. It's not. It's just not, right? Not that people can't come in and question. That's okay. It takes time sometimes to move in and see if you really want this Jesus thing or not. That's okay. There's plenty of room for that. I'm speaking to those people that say that they are apart and walking in it. There's a difference there, right? There's a difference. Nor do we operate as a healthy member of, of the church when we're complete and complete dependence on it when we're never giving back, when we're just sucking off the church all the time, trying to get, 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 and never give. Although we do know that early on in faith, when I first came to faith, man, I latched onto the church, and I just took all that I could get, and I needed to at that moment. There was t- there's a time when it, in a person's life when they first come to Jesus where they just need to soak it up and soak it up and soak it up. But then they move on to a deeper life of interdependence where they start that healthy give and take. They start to minister as well, to be, as well as being ministered to in church community. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. 
And to understand all that means that Sunday morning worship services and community groups and our kingdom opportunities and our discipleship relationships and all that become indispensable to us. They really do. We don't miss them because we need them. And we're needed at them, right? We'd be eager to find our place of service within the church. And, and until we find that certain right place, we, we're willing to do anything that's asked of us because we know we need it. We'd be eager to find others and to latch on to them and to grow in discipleship with them, to grow more deeply towards Jesus through sharing and confession and study and prayer together and all that stuff. Guys meet on Thursday mornings. Any guy in here is welcome to come. Jeannie's Deli down there on Athens Avenue. 6.30 every Thursday morning, we get together and just talk, hang out, share a little bit of, you know, what we're learning in the Word and that kind of thing. Those are needed times, right? Whereas the world can be hard in a way that drains us, right? It just sucks the life out of us. Healthy church life can be hard in a way which eventually brings freedom and, and glorifies Jesus and actually makes us better. Christ is our goal, right? So we deal with whatever stands in the way of that goal, uh, whatever stands in the way of his reign in our personal lives, and whatever stands in the, in the way of our, of, our, of our corporate life as a community as well. We deal with these things in church. Following Jesus in community with others has its benefits, right? It really does, with, which sociologists have studied, and, and they, they say that, you know, number one, uh, that, that people who go to church regularly live seven and a half years longer than those who don't. Who knows? You know, right? They probably do because you're, you're drawn into healthy lifestyles, right? They're 56% more likely to have an optimistic outlook on life. I, I think that's true of Christians. They are 27% less likely to be depressed. They are 35% less likely to get divorced, right? I've never... I've never believed that, uh, that thing where pastors say, well, the, the Christian church is, the, the divorce rates are just as high in the Christian church. No, I've never believed it. You know why I've never believed it? Because when I, I know a lot of Christians, and the divorce rate among the, all the Christians that I know is very low compared to the world. Very low. I'm not talking about all Christian churches, like whatever you call it, like, anything else out there that calls itself a Christian church but actually isn't, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are actually walking in relationship with Jesus. It's very, it's very low. It does happen. We're not denying that. And sometimes maybe it should happen. You know, I, it's, it's hard life sometimes, you know. But, but gosh, I just never believe that. Number five, they have higher, higher average levels of commitment and marital satisfaction, less thinking and talking about divorce, lower levels of negative interaction. Number six, they achieve higher grades. All you college students, higher grades, practice better time management, and have a better sex life. If there's in, one thing that's worth following Jesus, it's a better sex life. Am I right? <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Thank you, Jesus. Sorry. Are you kids, are you kids in here? You kids, you didn't hear me say that. <laughs> no, actually, in church, that's where we should talk about it. Sex within in marriage is a beautiful, wonderful thing. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Studies are clear, though. 
Life's typically better for those who regularly engage deeply in church, walking with Jesus, in community with others, which doesn't surprise me in the least because you guys are great people. And you're growing and you're getting healthier and better all the time. Doesn't surprise me in the least, right? We're not knitting a, together a body, you know, body part to body part of, from, from lifeless cadavers like some Frankensteinian creation. That's not what we're doing here, right? We are born again, life-filled, created beings, you know, that, that, that are grafted into the body of Christ. We are made whole. We are made alive. We are made family. We are forgiven. We are free. We fit here. We fit. All of you fit, even if you don't feel like you fit. And if you don't feel like you fit, take that thought to the cross and crucify it because it is a lie. Because you do fit. Do you know why I know that you fit? Because Jesus said you fit. He plucked you out. And he puts you in here. He says you fit. He ascribed it to you. He gave it to you. In contrast to what your insecurities and fears might tell you, you fit. It's important to remember that there is no holistic spiritual formation of the individual outside of the faith community. There is no holistic spiritual formation of the individual outside of the faith community. Right? And this goes both ways, right? The holistic spiritual health of the individual adds to the spiritual health of, of a community, and the, whole, the, the spiritual health of a community aids in the development of this, the, the, the spiritual health of an individual. Got it. Got it. Um, you know, a body shares lifeblood. It shares DNA, right? It regenerates cell and tissue. It, it grows and it repairs itself over a lifetime. We know that. And the Christian can only become whole through interdependent interaction with other members of the faith community, right? Sharing the DNA and the lifeblood of Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to do his reparative work in, in us through the body of Christ as we grow together. You know, I, I've talked, I talked to somebody the other night that has had really bad experiences over their church life at other churches. I get that. I mean, I've, I've had some myself in the past. I will be honest. This is the best church I've ever served in. I, I'm not just blowing sunshine. It is the God's honest truth that you guys are really good, healthy people. Am I right, MJ? You <laughs> I cannot see. Yeah. She knows, she knows they served as pastors over in another church, and they've been, they've been through the, the grinder, you know. I, I think we're doing something here. I think God is doing something in this church. That's good. That's good. But what are the enemies of this, this life, in the, you know? I, I think there are two that stick out to me. One is pride in the, in the form of self-pity. Right, and that is the overly dependent person, the, the one who always takes, who's always navel-gazing, always upset, always like, oh, why me, why me? I, I, I know we go through those points, but just realize, and let me say this with all compassion, I, get out of the self-pity. It does you no good or anybody around you any good. 
It is one of the worst sins of pride because nobody can speak into it. It just cuts the legs out from, from underneath of truth. There's no goodness that comes from self-pity. All right, And that really undermines you and it undermines the community. Latch on to the promises of Jesus. Understand that what he's done for you and what he's doing in you and through you and, and in your community and, and start to latch on to those things. And if you need help getting out of that, go get prayer, right? Go ask Rachel to pray over you and have people pray over you. It, you need it, right? The second thing is pride in the form of narcissism. If you're a narcissist, you're not going to hear a word I'm about to say, right? <laughs> because, <laughs> because you're a narcissist, right? But I hope, I hope for some reason the Holy Spirit will just crack that hard shell because narcissists just think they know better. And, and I'm the pastor up here barking at you, and you're like, nah, he, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? If you're having that feeling that you always are right and, and everybody else is a dork, <laughs> You, you're probably a narcissist. I mean, if it, if it has a, a tail and it wags, it's probably a, a dog, right? Like, let's, let's be honest. Narcissism does not help you or does not help the community. A healthy body, a healthy person is interdependent, right? Knowing that it needs others to survive and thrive. Do you ever go and ask for prayer? Do you ever go and say, I need to confess something to you, brother. You've got to help me walk through this. Do you ever do that? That's a sign that you're going in the right direction, right? It, 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 it also understands that it, it brings with it, uh, this person brings with it an, a unique value to the body of Christ, you know, as well. It's, it's not just, you know, oh, I just need, need, need. No, I, can, I have something to give here. And it's convicted in a humble, service-minded way that the rest of the people in the crowd need them. And they, it makes them want to serve. You know, in this series, we've been talking about being leading to doing, not being versus doing, but being leading to doing, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? That we are in Christ, being in Christ, growing in Christ, and that leads to doing the good works of Jesus in the world. That there are things that he's, Created beforehand for us to do. Verse 10 of chapter 2 in Ephesians, right? And part of that, part of doing all that is, is knowing who Christ created you to be and what you bring to the community, right? Um, our, our personal giftings are God's grace given through individuals as we enrich the church through God's unique creation of our personalities. I'm a, I'm a unique personality. Everybody's a unique personality, right? Everybody's got their own personality. And, and God has created us in certain ways. But the faith community is also God's means of grace to individuals as God sort of nurtures, along, nurtures us along through the body of Christ, the, the local church. That's why proximity is so important. You can't, you can't do church life by watching a preacher on TV or listening to podcasts. It doesn't work. I've got to sit up here and preach and then go home and, and, and somebody says, dude, you're not doing what you preach Sunday. You know, we've got to have those conversations. We've looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and, and verses 3 through 6 lead us further into becoming a healthy, interdependent part of Christ's body, beginning from a place of humility. It says this, for the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment 
Be realistic about who you are, right? In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each, each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Listen to that. Belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, Thinking of yourself with sober judgment is difficult for that person that is wallowing in self-pity. You're not thinking straight. Or the person with their heads up in the cloud of narcissism, right? You're not thinking straight. Many times those people find out who they really are through the hard knocks of, of, of confrontation in healthy community, right? And, and As they should. They need to be confronted, they need somebody to say, dude, that's not the way we do it here. If gentle reasoning is, proves fruitless, right? They need to be confronted. And when they do, so, so church life is not always easy. But it's leading somewhere. It's leading to health, right? And when they do, they should remember when they're confronted, anybody like calls me out, to, you know, calls me to the carpet or, or confronts me on a sin or something like that. You know, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, a father of the son, he delights in. You remember this is in Hebrews 12, I think it is as well. He borrows this, this from uh, the Old Testament. I remember there was a pastor, I just had this conversation with somebody the other night, there was a pastor that I knew that got caught. You know, it, well, he actually kind of got caught, but he was on his way to kind of confessing that he was about to go out and meet his secretary at a hotel. They hadn't done this deed yet, but he was on his way. And, he kinda, and somebody said, dude, where are you going? And he just broke into tears and he said, I'm not going to do anything good. I'm going to cheat on my wife right now. And he regarded that as the Holy Spirit stepping in. And he put himself under the church's authority to guide him out of that. Good story. Good story. That's, that's, a, health, that's a healthy thing. That's a good thing, right, that that happened. And they led him through that well. See, the hardest thing to do is to resist the urge to cut and run. To cut and run. Oh, I'm leaving the church. Go someplace else. Which becomes a church hopper. And all us pastors know who you are. We talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, he came, he came for old six months, and then we found out this, and then he left. Just stay. Work it out, right? We all know. So the, the, it's hard to resist the, the, the urge to cut and run. It's also hard to not just go dormant within your community when, a pride is, when your pride is confronted in community. You know, remember this. Discipline and acceptance are not mutually exclusive. That's worth a second read. Discipline and acceptance are not mutually exclusive. As a matter of fact, discipline translates to real acceptance, true acceptance. We take the time to discipline our children because we love them so much. We take the time to discipline or correct the people that we love because we don't want them to go down the wrong path. We love people that we discipline. We love people that we correct and confront. That's a sign of love, right? 
And those who stick around to go through the loving confrontation. By the way, let me just be clear. There's nothing going on in this church right now that I'm speaking about this. It's just coming from the passage. You know, there's not some big secret thing going on. You have to say that sometimes. People, people extrapolate things. But, but, you know, if people stick around to go through the, the process, the hard process of loving confrontation, working things out with the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff in community with others, they, what they find out is that everybody else has actually had the same issues. And everybody else is very understanding and very forgiving. And it's wonderful. It's freeing. So some of us need to have our heads, uh, you know, lifted up out of the sort of cesspool of self-concern and self-pity. Others of us need to be reeled down out of the crowds and brought back to the earth about who we really are. And still some of us are, are in need of correction in our theological thinking, our theological approach to life. Yes, I use that word theology. Theology is important. What you believe about God is, is what you believe about your community, is what you believe about life. And, and we do have a theology. And, and, and it is, there is a correct way of thinking about these things. Like churches across the board, that you, any church that I would send you to other than this one, they pretty much agree with, with everything that we would say here. Right? They might have little nuances that are secondary issues that are not that important. That's okay. But the, as far as the foundational things, we should agree on that. Right? I totally lost where I was. <laughs> but we need to bring our, our hearts and thinking in line with scriptural truth. We really do. That's not always easy, and it never, never ends. We're always battling with it and struggling with it. We're always walking through it. We don't understand everything. I'm not saying that, but we do. Like We are rooted in history. We have clouds and, and hit thousands of years of history with other believers that have walked through this as well. So we have some stuff to build on. You know, Romans 12 says again that we're in community, that everyone... Uh, with has different functions that they belong to one another that term right that, that they rely on one another so here's a question does it frighten you to be relied on I was talking to somebody that's about to get engaged this past week you know just making that step asking the question will you marry me oh you know like like it like Commitment scares people. Do you, do you, does it frighten you to be relied on? Can you be relied on in this community to use your gifts, use your wonderful personality, whatever it is, to, to walk through? You know, Kristen Haskins started coming to our community group last year, just a fresh influx of something new, something different. I loved her voice. Loved it. Loved it. Does it frighten you to belong to others? Does it frighten you to belong here? That you might be expected, like that when you don't show up for two weeks, somebody might say, hey, where have you been? That's a good thing. It's a good thing. God's graced each other with, uh, each of us with gifts, and he's called us to use them for his glory towards his mission through his body, the local church. And there are great tools out there to understand yourself better, to walk through those things, how you, and how you interact with others. You know, uh, if, if Shu Wen was here, she could probably 
stand up here and give a testimony. Lindley, who just walked out to get her kid, I think, you know, and Rachel and other people like that, counselor types, psychology types in this crowd know many of these tests, like Myers-Briggs test and the Enneagram and things like that. They're just, you know, very useful tools to understand who you are. I've been through all these tests. I was trying to find my Myers-Briggs so I could tell you what I was. I kind of forget what I was. One of you guys that knows the test will probably label me right away and know exactly what I am. But, but you know, like it, these tests help you to understand who you are and how you interact with others, right? Um, it, other tools like, like going to counseling or, or reading some good books about understanding yourself and, and picking yourself apart can reveal your tendencies of how God has created you as a unique person, but they also reveal how, you, how other personalities tend to upset you or, 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 or rub you the wrong way and why. And, and when you can see that, they cease to be the enemy and they just become a different type of, of a person. And you start to learn how to deal with that. And it's not easy. It's not always easy. And it, it, but it enables you to react differently to them. It na- enables you to be more calculated and thoughtful and compassionate as you approach people instead of just knee-jerk or cutting people off and things like that. And one of the greatest mistakes we make, I think, when we go through things like that, counseling or test these testing things and stuff, is we read our profile. Like, oh, I'm an INTJ, and we read a little profile. We say, this is exactly how I'm going to be. No, not necessarily. There's a million different nuances of that. And not to mention the fact that God has called you to growth. One of the mis- I think one of the mistakes is maybe the, the unintended communication by the, psych- the psychology community or psychiatry community is that we are one way and we can't change. That is not commiserate with the gospel. The gospel makes me to change, right? He's continually changing. The Holy Spirit is continually working on me, and, and he's using other personality types to show me where I need to grow. So when I, when I go out with Rob Schaefer, for instance, on Thursday mornings, and we start talking, and I get loud, and I get kind of in his face, you know, Rob's different than me. Rob is a little bit sweeter and more gentle in the way he, he's more calculated with his words. I, I'm like a bull in a china closet, right? And so when, when I see Rob, that little twitch, he's like, you know, <laughs> when I'm speaking to Rob, he's like, I know I got to temper myself. I'm like, oh, that's, that's Rob's sign. Back off, Jason. Like, like, calm down, right? Listen to what Rob has to say because Rob's got some wisdom for you. That's community, right? And vice versa. Rob probably can glean from me. I need a little, be a little bit more challenging, a little bit more, you know, out there, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, different things like that. But Ephesians 4 reveals to us where this all leads. We're almost done. I, I know I'm a little windy this morning. Uh, verse 11 in chapter 4, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Now, see that. It's not just the pastors and the, you know, whatever. That's not the only giftings, right? They're, they are, they are, Equipping us to use our gifting to, um, to build the, the body of Christ up, right? Until we all reach unity in the faith. Unity, there's that word, in the knowledge of the Son of God. There's their theology, the knowledge of the Son of God. And becoming mature, grown-ups, growing up as we grow old, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Jesus in my life. Amen. And then, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, 
No longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and by there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheme. I remember talking to my older brother once. I'm like, oh, to be young again. And he's like, no, that would stink. I don't want to be young again. That stinks. Everybody telling you what to do. You don't know who you are. You're trying this and trying that. And you're unsettled and you're insecure. I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right. It's better to be old. I I feel much better about myself at 52 than I did at 32. And especially much better than, see, you're young, right? Well, I forget your name, but Hannah. Laura, Hannah. Isn't there a Hannah? Yeah, has a Hannah. See, I knew one. Laura, I don't know how old you are, but you're young, right? You're going to grow and develop. You'll be different. When I was your age, man, I was an insecure, not that you are. But I was an insecure mess. You're probably a very well-adjusted, strong woman. Well, there's some honesty. She's like, yeah, a little bit, maybe. So, you know, but, but we're growing. We're changing, right? And we don't want to be people that are tossed and, you know, anything that comes out on the news. We're like, you know. No, we want to be level-headed, wonderful, mature people of Christ, right? Uh, verse 15, instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined in t- and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So that's the end goal. That's the end goal in a sense, right? A, a healthy, solid, knowledgeable, wise, interdependent, living, breathing, mature, proximate, flesh and blood, loving, and reliable, active, full body of Christ in a community, influencing each other and influencing the world around it for God's glory and God's mission. That's our goal. That's where we're going. Amen. And for that to happen, let's remember a few things. One, there's no holistic spiritual formation of the individual outside of church. I know it, a lot of people, especially younger people, I don't want to be the 52-year-old guy barking about young people, but there's this thing where, oh, I don't need to go to church. No, you do. You do. You, do, you need to be here, right? There's no holistic spiritual formation outside of the church. Church life is important. Quantity time translates to quality time. Quantity time translates to quality time. You can't manufacture quality time. You have to come here enough and and be in the room enough for chance to happen, right? Number three, unity and belief and conviction is important. What we believe, what we say we believe, where we're going is, is very important. Number four, explore who Christ created you to be. Don't get lazy. Don't just... Take it as, as it comes. To explore wh- who Christ created you to be, what you bring to the community, what you bring to the table, and engage the church uh, in church life with your unique calling. Number five, be reliable. Be reliable. You belong to others. Get involved in discipleship. Get involved with people. Get involved in service. Number six, remember it's for God's glory through God's mission. We are called to something, right? So use your cards, your little memorization cards, Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And uh, if you didn't get one, get one on the way out and do your memorization. And then as, uh, as every week we've been having a spiritual mentor come up and share. Rob, why don't you come on up? Uh, Rob's going to share with us this week. We're, we're kind of sharing some tools of spiritual formation at the end of each sermon. And Rob's going to share with us today. You might, oh, you have to turn that thing on, sorry. Thanks.
The screen thing, yeah. Um, yeah, Father, uh, I just ask for your peace now. So I'm going to talk about the presence of God uh, and practicing it. Natalie asked me if I was going to cry this morning, and I said, no, uh, I am a liar. <laughs> Ah, man. Um, So, uh, I think I'm just going to talk real quickly about this book, The Practice of the Presence of God. It's by Brother Lawrence. It's really awesome. Um, And I think for me, uh, this stuff is so important because it's it's a reminder that God can be immediate and always and a constant... um, Man, <laughs> um, and there's so much um, not God, despite the fact that He's always there, and that He resides in me, um, and that He resides in you, if you have a relationship with Him. Um, yeah, I I kind of just forget everything I, I want to say when I'm up here. I apologize for that, but. Um, couple little passages from from brother Lawrence he says never tire of doing even the smallest things for him because he isn't impressed so much with the dimension of our work as with the love in which it is done and then later he says uh, there's someone actually talking about brother Lawrence but brother Lawrence added that when we begin our Christian walk we must remember that we have been living in the world subject to all sorts of miseries accidents and poor dispositions from within. The Lord will cleanse. <laughs> Five bucks if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord will cleanse and humble us in order to make us more like Christ. As we go through this cleansing process, we will grow closer to God. Um, and I think there's a temptation just to want to have arrived um, and to, uh, you know, be in the presence of God all the time, but just those incremental um, little moments with him um, and just little breath prayer is one that uh, is helpful for me or, or taking time in my day uh, my lunches I just go out in my car um, I have no technology and I just read a scripture or I just like try to be in his presence or ask him to come um, so maybe a breath care prayer for you it could be uh, Lord here I am um, and bring yourself into his presence rather than um, yeah, whatever, you can do this at any time, literally. Um, yeah, so I guess just a, a small practical piece as I get off this stage, which is, man, I don't like this. Uh, s- stop throughout your day to pay attention uh, to God and practice his presence. Um, and I think a, a practical way to do that is just to set a, a time in your day or set, you know, a timer on your phone or whatever. Um, Give yourself just five minutes and read a scripture, uh, pray, ask for him to come, or just be with him, like literally just be. Um, yeah, see what that looks like. Give, your, give him a chance uh, to, uh, to be in his presence. You didn't cry. Yeah. <laughs> No, just kidding. I don't care if you cry. Everybody calls me a crybaby. 
when I'm up here, right? Uh, we're going to pass the tithe box. Those are in the front. If you guys could grab those and pass them back. Uh, if you're visiting, don't feel any obligation to put anything in there unless the Lord leads you to do so. There are other ways to give online, uh, up on the screen maybe, or it was. Um, sorry, we're going to cut a song. We typically don't go this long. I, I, I was a little long-winded. God bless you for listening. Amen. Let's worship some more. <laughs>